Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Cam here, and just before we start the podcast today, I just want to let you know about our Patreon-exclusive podcast where Ben, PY, and I reflect on some of our favorite school memories that we think are applicable to you too. Also, one free way that you can support the podcast is by giving it a quick rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That helps our podcast get out to a wider audience, and it takes two seconds, and it's free to do. We hope you enjoy today's podcast as we talk about the Congo. PY. Hey, Cam. It's our second African episode. Yep. And the second episode that we haven't had Ben for when we've covered <laughs> Africa. Ah, what's he doing? Does he not care about Africa? I think he's ambivalent to the cause. Yeah. He, or either that, or he's afraid of what may come. So it's, it's been African dictators both times, and Ben's been <laughs> like, nah, not this week, boys. I'm out. I can't handle it. Yeah. This one's a pretty wild one. We're looking at the Congo. Cool. I'm excited. It's pretty. It's pretty crazy. Should we preface that that Ben is actually sick, and now our hearts go out to him? We we we, we could do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's. I think yeah, he'll be. He's a bit crook, but he'll be. He'll be back soon. And hey, when you hurt, you hurt. In, gotta... it, and in the realm of what we're about to talk about today, this is number one of the things that most need sympathy for yeah. Ben as he recovers from from his sickness. <laughs> <laughs> he sent us a message yesterday saying he's in doubt and we got the confirmation this morning. We yeah. did invite a guest to come on the podcast. Uh, I think this guest is listening right now. They they declined. <laughs> yeah. As you listen to this, just think about what could have been. Mm. If you would like to come on the Mr. Mitchell History Podcast, let us know on Twitter. Yeah. We'd, we'd, we'd love to have you on. Yeah, we're open, we're open to it for sure. Now, speaking of open borders, okay. the colonization of Africa. Yeah. Which big powers are in the play as Africa's getting carved up? Of course, Britain got to be there. Yep. Uh, France, Germany, Belgium. Wow. Big mm. four. There's actually it was probably one more other one I'd throw in there. The Port- Dutch. Or Dutch, Port- like two more. Yeah, Dutch yeah. in South Africa and then Portugal. Portugal. In Angola. Yep. So who are the winners of the scramble for Africa? Uh, I would say Britain. Correct. Um, 
is America at play here yet? No, because they're still they're no. they're very much in there. We're figuring out our own thing era in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah. So they're officially minding their own business. They're okay. kind of pretty heavily invested in Latin America, but okay. not so much in Africa yep. from like an empire point of view. And the, their their war of independence was against the idea of an empire, mm. and so then it would be blatantly hypocritical to build an empire in Africa. So Britain, I would also say France, right? A lot yeah. of French-speaking countries in Africa. How good's their football team right now? As a result of indeed, of yeah, colonization. Have you, have you seen the transition? That, that's a cause for the the migration to France, the colonization. It, well, where do they come from? They all come from places with French links. So Senegal okay. and Algeria, yeah, uh, because they can speak the language, they Makes sense. migrate to France. Yeah, same thing as you look at. As today, when we're going to look at the Congo, we're going to see the country that a lot of Congolese people end up migrating to in Europe mm. as well. Yeah. So Britain had what we called the Cairo to Cape Town Corridor. So basically, they had a direct line all the way from Egypt going down to South Africa. And that was a way for them to kind of import trade in and out and transition resources across the empire in Africa. But we're going to talk about another player in the game. Do you know who the Congo's overlords were? I do know, actually. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Wait for it. Um, uh, Belgium. Belgium. Belgians in the Congo. Very impressive. Yeah. Well, I remember it briefly from um, modern history for some reason. I don't know what topic that would have been under, but I feel like it was just uh, just something that was covered at some point. I can't believe that's something you've held on to. That's, it's, like, it's well, really... It stood out to me, Ken, because of the... Um, like the kind of atrocities that happened. I don't remember specifics, but I feel like it stood out to me because I'm like, wow, more people, like, there's like a mass kind of genocide, right? And yeah. is, am I right in saying like more people died there than like in the Holocaust or is that like, Ooh. is that hearsay? You are right, PY. Nice. <laughs> Do you have any died <laughs> in the nice, Holocaust? Very bad. Was it like six or seven million? Yeah, six million. Ten million died yeah. under King Leopold in the Congo. Yeah, that's like that. Definitely, that's what stood out to me when I learned it at school. Like, wow, this was this was horrible. Like, this was bad. And the manner of the deaths, you could probably make a case that they're worse than the Holocaust. Yeah. yeah. So if we go back, so Britain's kind of leading the race for colonization in Africa. France are trailing not very far behind, and obviously all the European powers kind of meet at the table and they're like, we need to sort out who gets what, because we all want Africa, but we're just going to end up in a war if we kind of don't sort this out now. So France get West Africa, Britain get their corridor that they're after, Portugal get places like Angola, the Dutch get a little bit of South Africa, and it's all kind of neatly carved up. However, I realised I said nice after I heard how many people died in the Congo. (laughs) 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 It's not nice at all. (laughs) Um, felt like when um, Brian and Stewie... High five each other after they make nine eleven happen. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, this would be really bad out of context. <laughs> yeah, indeed. You have the grounds to cancel Py now. <laughs> this could be this could be your final podcast, Py. No, um, yeah, awful. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone comes to the table. It's the Berlin Conference in eighteen eighty four, and they all come to the table together. What King Leopold has done in Belgium? So King Leopold the second, he's a constitutional monarch. Like King Charles. So he actually it doesn't have any governing power over Belgium. He's just a figurehead for the state. Okay. 
Okay. King Leopold has seen these other European nations create colonies in Africa. Mm. And so what Leopold does is Leopold personally hires a European expeditioner called Henry Stanley Morton to actually cross Central Africa and look for places for a new colony. Mm. And the reason why this was quite a lucrative contract for Morton was the Congo River is notoriously dangerous. Okay. What's in the Congo River? Um, is it like, are the, are the people hostile perhaps? Or is it like, there's actual like animals, like alligators or something in there? Yeah, crocodiles. Yeah. And it's one of the most dangerous uh, river passages <laughs> in terms of crocodile deaths in the world. Yeah, well. So we've got like, there's a number of Western kayakers who chuck their kayak in the Congo River. The, the locals are like, you're an idiot. Why are you doing that? That you are going to get eaten alive. And sure enough, they get eaten alive. And so it was a very dangerous track to try and cross. Morton actually crossed the Congo. And as he looked there, he was like, this is the perfect place for a colony. How come? What might Africa have that Europe wants in the 1800s? Is it gold? Gold is one. Okay. So similar time as the gold rush in Australia is everyone's going to Bathurst and (laughs) getting their their, their quick (laughs) quick door. There's more, though. Okay. This is Industrial Revolution. Coal? Not as much, not so much coal. I don't know. I feel like... uh, That's a very good guess. Rubber. Interesting. And that's that's the big one. Yeah. Uh, Because we did did tyres for everything becoming mechanised. The spalding handballs. The spalding handballs, of course. (laughs) A worthy cause. (laughs) So, King Leopold declares this as his personal colony. I've I'm gonna create the like the the Congo Free State, which is basically King Leopold's Congo. And at the Berlin conference, he goes to the European powers and basically says, I want the Congo. The European powers are like, yeah, whatever, we don't really care. You sort it out between you and Belgium. Who has the Congo? One of you guys has it. As long as you don't come into our areas, that's fine. It is important to note that they did split the Congo. So we've got two Congos that are around today. Yeah. Do you know what those two are? There's like the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yep. And then is the other one just Congo? Republic of Congo, Republic yeah. Republic of Congo. Okay, so the difference is the Democratic. Yes. So the, the Democratic Republic, like, is that, there's, like in terms of the structure of government, that's not where the difference actually lies. It's yeah, in yeah. the colonial background. Mm. So Democratic Republic of Congo is Belgian. Republic of Congo is French. Okay. And so they kind of divide Congo up. Is there tension there? Do they want to be one? No. Because we're going to see what happens when a later dictator tries to create a unique Congolese identity that ends up fracturing everything and making it worse. Okay. And there was a civil war fought after after his exile and after his death. So if you are around in 1884... Are there any socially accepted practices regarding slavery? It's acceptable to have slaves? It is actually not. It's not at this point. It has been outlawed in Europe and the American Civil War has been fought. Okay, yeah. And African-American slavery has been outlawed in America too. like recently. Yeah, so within like 20 years, living memory. So slavery is an unacceptable practice, even by the 1800 standards. Yeah. That doesn't stop Leopold. So, Leopold basically has a brutal system of carving up the Congo. 
So the first thing, you, if, if you're going to colonize anywhere, this is how they captured um, African slaves to begin with. It's divide and conquer. It's promise resources to one tribe in exchange for them attacking another tribe and bringing them before you to use as slaves or in whatever capacity you want. Okay. So one of the things that Leopold did is Leopold gave guns to the tribe, which put them in an OP position compared to the other tribes in the Congo because one tribe's got guns. They're going to be the most powerful. Yeah. They had to account for every single bullet shot. And if they shot a bullet and it didn't kill another Congolese person, they had to write a report on why that wasn't the case. And they had so, to write. Yeah, so basically fill out a report. Okay. And did like they you, did they also give them the education to do that? And yeah, okay. they'd work with translators and all <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But basically they had to like account for every bullet that was shot and you had to have a record for every bullet that was shot. Okay. Meaning that if you shot and you missed, you have to then go kill someone without a bullet. And okay. it was a really cunning way of turning them against each other. And giving them the resources to conquer. What else did they? What else did they give them in return for this? Like it was just gun. Here's a gun. So kill them. Was guns something that they really wanted? Was there already tension? Yeah, exactly. These so these are these yeah. areas where there's 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 hundreds of tribes in the Congo. Yeah. Some of the oldest tribes in the world at that point as well. Mm. And as it's not just tension, it's a way of ensuring security for your tribe. The whole idea of if we build nukes, we don't necessarily need them right now. Yeah. But having them is handy in case anyone messes with us. Yeah. And so they gave them they gave them these guns and what would also happen is children would work in the rubber fields and if children didn't produce enough rubber they would have their hands chopped off. Mm. Yeah. And basically they would they would be worked worked to the bone, worked to death. Um they'd often have to peel rubber off their own skin, so effectively just like torturing yourself. Far out. It was it was incredibly brutal. And what Leopold also did was Leopold captured Congolese people, had them transported to Belgium, had the Belgians recreate Congolese villages and basically had human zoos for people wanting yeah. to see the Congo experience. Far out. It was insane. And there was, like, was there any, like, pushback from the people in Congo or? Eventually. They just got oh, them oh. to fight each other. Well, again, divide and conquer. And yeah. what are they going to do? If they oppose Leopold, they get their hand chopped off and of they get brutally yeah. suppressed. And from, from Belgium's point of view, Belgium started to turn against Leopold. Leopold. They were pretty disgusted by this, but they didn't know... The full extent. ...for quite a while. Because yeah. the way that people caught on to it was that the people who were working in the Belgian docks, they had all this money coming in and had all this rubber coming in from, from the Congo, Yeah. but they weren't sending gold or anything out like that. What they were sending out was guns. And so, like, hold up, something's not, something's not right here. Mm. This isn't a trade deal at all. This is this is pillaging, and that's when Belgium started to catch on. And then, particularly when the human zoos were brought in, the yep. Belgians were pretty disgusted, by and large, by by okay. it. And so, it's actually really interesting. In Belgian history, it was known what happened immediately afterwards, but then throughout the 20th century, Leopold's antics in the Congo weren't particularly taught in Belgian history and it wasn't really well known yeah. until quite recently. And so obviously they could go on the internet and find access to it if they wanted to, but it wasn't part of curriculum or anything like that until quite recently. The Belgians mm. had no idea what they actually did in the Congo. Yeah. There's Even though... Still like, there's like kind of statues to him, right? And to, to Leopold? To Leopold and, yeah. 
there were a few. Mm. The last, if I'm not mistaken, the last one was taken down in 2020. Okay. And I think it was on the back of George Floyd. Yeah. And Leopold being seen as a symbol of racism. Yeah. Interestingly, the thing that brought Leopold down wasn't anything he did with the Congolese. It was that he was involved in a sex scandal. <laughs> and so that was the thing that brought Leopold down. His reputation was kind of tarnished after that. Yeah. Um, and it was less to do with what he was doing in the Congo. But you're saying he wasn't even a... Um like a like a politician as much he was a so he wasn't a ruling monarch he was yeah a, a figurehead monarch so what what's the um what are the politicians doing at this stage they're kind of just like supporting him well here's the thing right it's brilliant for the belgian economy i you, see you're getting all this rubber coming in and it's the industrial revolution you cannot fall behind with the other european powers because yeah. then you're a target in their eyes and for belgium geographically they were dealt a pretty poor hand so, effectively, Belgium yep. was part of the Holy Roman Empire on the back of the Middle Ages. After the Protestant Reformation, it kind of fractured. So, you've got France, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany all next to each other. The Dutch became a Protestant state and developed and spoke Dutch and had its own um, national identity. But Dutch is quite a close language to German mm. and they're, they're, they're quite similar languages. The Belgians didn't go Protestant. They remained Catholic and rather than kind of following the German dialects, they spoke Flemish, which is a l- large variation of French. And so the reason why it's a really poor situation for the for the Belgians is they're stuck in between France and Germany, who throughout the 1800s hated each other. Yeah. And in 1870, they actually went to a quite a significant war against each other. And so Belgians kind of like, well, we've got to stay in the industrialization race. We can't fall behind because otherwise... If France or Germany want to attack each other and they go straight through us, we're toast. Mm-hmm. What happens in World War One? Well, they, <laughs> yeah, it, England goes to war, th- theoretically at least, because Belgium was invaded by Germany en route to France. So the mm-hmm. Belgian government is pretty disgusted by this, but the alternative yeah. of getting rid of the Congo puts them in a bad situation in terms of the colonization race. And the Congo is perhaps the richest part of Africa in terms of resources. So South Africa's obviously got your diamond and, and your 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 expensive resources, yeah. But what and your luxury resources? But what's going to help you actually have a functioning industrial mechanized economy comes from the Congo, yeah. And so what the Belgian government did is they took the Congo off of Leopold, and they said, "You are not capable to run this. We will run the Congo instead." It was better, okay, but not like still, yeah. but just run of the mill the way that. Britain or France would run their colonies, which is still... Yeah, not yeah. the best. Yeah, exactly. Like, you, you're under the thumb of another ruler who's pillaging your resources yeah. for their own gain. And so, throughout the 20th century, movements started to emerge wanting Congolese independence, and very understandably so. And so, Belgium is shown to be pretty weak in World War One. I. I think the Congo, I don't know the exact exact figure i think the congo is something like 23 times the size of belgium and so the congolese like why are we why are we under the thumb of these guys we've got a bigger (laughs) population we've got much more abundant natural resources the truth is is that they they weren't industrialized Mm. and the industrial revolution is the only part in human history where population size and resources doesn't dictate how rich your economy is if you've got superior technology and so the Congolese are wanting their independence. Belgium's shown to be weak in World War I. They're shown to be really weak in World War II as they fall under Nazism. And then on the back of World War II, we've got decolonization. 
where we've got independence movements emerging across both Asia and Africa. And so the Congo requests their independence and they actually get it in 1960. So 1960, it's pretty clear that the Belgians can't have any legitimate claim to the Congo. Decolonization has happened. Britain's given up most of their empire. The France hasn't really been able to keep any of their empire at all. And so the Belgians agree to give the Congolese independence, but the Belgians still have skin in the game. The Congo is really rich in another set of resources that become really important in the 20th century. So there's a part in the Congo, so kind of southeast. Vibranium. What's vibranium? It's the Black Panther. Oh, thing. yeah. Sorry. Oh man, I, I haven't seen it since it was we. Since Sneakers. Sneakers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I jumped. I jumped off that Marvel train too early. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, you're on the, yeah, you, you've pretty much seen where the tide's going. So Katanga, which is Southeast Congo, mm. is rich in uranium. Mm. One of probably the richest uranium field in the world. Yeah. Well, and America actually used Congolese uranium in dropping the atomic bomb on Japan. Yeah. So now the Oppenheimer movie coming out. Have you seen the trailer for that? I haven't. Looks good. Looks good. Yeah. Really good. Should I uh, do a podcast reacts? Yeah, definitely. I think we <laughs> and it's crazy. Like it's crazy, right? The Congo, if they were managed by themselves, could be the richest nation in the world. Yeah. When you think about, and you look at their, their, they could could be are the they, Qatar. Are like they Qatar. like landlocked though? Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Exactly. And so that's that is actually one of the huge limitations of them, but. They are so in kind of three ways of industrial revolution. Mm. So firstly, in rubber and and iron ore and that sort of thing, they're rich. Second wave of industrial revolution, when we look at nuclear energy, well, they are the mother load of nuclear energy. They've got all the uranium in the southeast Congo. Right now, as we look into battery technology and renewables, they've got all the cobalt. And so they are so blessed in terms of natural resources but the country's been divided by nefarious forces so that they've never been able to capitalise on it at all. And if they're able to govern independently, there's no reason to say, particularly with Africa's booming population and with the rich natural resources that they have going into the renewable era, there's no reason to say why the Congo can't actually become a really influential power in the world and a really rich power in the world and go through a boom like Australia went through in the early 2000s. So... There's a lot of skin in the game for a lot of different players. Belgium wants to keep access to the Congolese mines because that's where you can get all the natural resources from, particularly your rubber and your iron and that sort of thing. Yeah. A lot of Belgian mining companies and a lot of Belgians have invested in mining companies that are taking those resources. So they want this new government to be very favorable towards their mining interests in Katanga. The Americans are really invested, not so much from the wealth side of things. They've got their wealth portfolio spread across the world, but America does not want that uranium falling into the hands of anyone else. So they want the Congo to fall in line for their uranium resources. The Soviet Union obviously wants to try and get in on the Congo to try and get those uranium resources too. Mm. So there's these three different powers all pressing together and putting a lot of pressure on the Congo. So the Congo is led by, the Prime Minister is a guy called Patrice Lumumba. Really important figure in Congolese history. 
one of the biggest alternate history questions is what if his fate was different? And we'll come into his fate in just a second. Basically, Patrice Lumumba led a government called the MNC, which basically stood for the Congolese National Movement. Okay. If you kind of like translate, yep. translate it across. And the ideology, it wasn't so much left or right. It was, we want to be independent and we don't want to be under colonization anymore. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Mm. And so basically the biggest thing that Lumumba advocated for was independent control of resources. And one of his biggest tactical mistakes was he didn't declare who his side was. So he didn't declare whether he's Soviet Union or America. And both yeah. start to sniff around. <laughs> yeah. And the Americans aren't too happy with him when he isn't as harsh on the Soviet Union as what they would have liked. So do you remember the name of that rich energy reserve in Southeast Congo? Did you mention it? <laughs> Katanga. Katanga. Okay. So Katanga is where the money is. Yeah. If you're a nefarious power and you don't like the way that, that Patrice Lumumba is moving this new government, you don't like the direction that they're moving in, what you can do is you can give a nudge and a wink to someone from Katanga to rise up and to create a rebellion in a separate state that will be favourable towards you. Oh, I see. That guy's name was Moise Shombe. Yeah. So who's nudged... America's nudged and winked him. And, winked to him. and the Belgians. And the Belgians have probably been more explicit in doing so. Okay. So... So Moise Chambé starts a, a civil war, basically, and a war of independence for Katanga. Yeah. The Congo cannot afford to lose Katanga. If they lose Katanga, they're back to being dirt poor. They've got the Congo River and all the hazards that come with it, which is on the western side of the Congo. Yeah. But they don't have the rich natural resources that can make them a wealthy nation. It'd be like Australia losing WA. I see. We could not afford to lose WA. Yeah. <laughs> I saw they had like a... Massive surplus in their budget during the week. Labor did for the four billion one. Yeah, yeah, four yeah. billion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's um. We we're gonna do. We'll, we'll talk about surplus when we do okay. the, the Howard episode because I would a lot to say on surplus and structural surplus and, and yeah. deficit. But you're exactly right, and one of the great reasons as to why Australia's been wealthy in the last twenty years is not so much the economic management of Labor or Liberal, mm. it's been the mining boom. Yeah. And you could argue that our government squandered the mining boom and that one of our prime ministers tried to save the mining boom by putting a mining tax and then America came in and knifed him, but topic for another day. Mm-hmm. So, we have Katanga and the rebellion being led by Moise Chambé. Yeah. Belgium supports Chambé and yeah. allows troops to go and support Moise Chambé. Not good. No. The Soviet Union goes to the UN and they're like, what the heck? It's the kind of same thing happening as nearly 100 years earlier, right? They're fighting. They've got them fighting against each other. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Divide and conquer. And the Soviet Union's like, you cannot be serious. Like, as if this is a peacekeeping mission or anything like this. That's what the Belgians were saying. We want to restore order to to the Congo and prevent Congo from becoming communist, that sort of thing. Mm. Soviet Union's like, Patrice Lumumba is not our guy. We would like him to be our guy, but he has not said anything that is remotely super supportive of us. Yeah. You're supposed to be peacekeeping here. Yeah. How could you let this happen? I think like within the nation, they're like realizing that, I don't know, they're just using us like or to to get the the access to Katonga. Oh, totally. Yeah. But And here's the other thing as well. If you're a really poor nation and yeah, you your biggest concern is how can I secure water for the next month? 
Yeah. Your primary concern is, yeah, they might be using us, but I'm also using them to make my ends meet as well. Mm. And that's what when we see a guy called Joseph Mbutu, he does exactly that. And he's kind of well aware that the US is using him for, for his stance and his influence, but he's also trying to use the US so that he can make his ends meet as well. And so, yeah, the Congolese are definitely aware of this. And most of the Congo supports Patrice Lumumba. And they're still supportive of their original prime minister. Mm. And so, basically as well, the the reason why Katunga, a lot of Katungans supported Shombe is because that like all the mining profits were taxed by the federal government. And in their eyes, the wealth of our area is getting sent to somewhere else. If we get rid of them, yeah. we can keep the wealth of that area into fewer hands and we all be wealthier. Rather than it going to like the other part of the Congo, it's going to Belgium though, potentially. Well, yeah, exactly right. It is. So, but Lumumba was still, t- when Lumumba came in for a brief period in the early 60s, yeah. his, he was taxing the profits yeah. of their mines. And so the Katungans were like, well, rather than it go to the capital at the time, Leopoldville, mm. if it stays in Katunga, that means that wealth is concentrated across fewer hands. For those of us who live in Katunga, that's better news for us because we're yeah. all wealthier. Was it called Leopoldville? It was. Theory me. Yes. <laughs> and we're going to come on to how that changed. Yeah. So there's Stanleyville, named after the explorer. The, yeah. And then Leopoldville, named after King Leopold. Yeah. And that's where it gets really interesting. So Shombe leads this rebellion. And the Soviet Union's super angry and they've got a pretty strong case at the UN. And so the UN actually kind of steps in and the UN's like, look, okay, Belgium, you've got to withdraw your soldiers and we want it, We want this to be a peacekeeping mission. And the Katungan Rebellion is kind of brought to a, an initial standstill right there and then. The CIA then try to kill Patrice Lumumba. Okay. Ne- next escal- escalation of events. Yeah. This isn't Alex Jones stuff. This was all revealed in the church committee, which was the Senate investigation into the CIA that happened in the 70s. Yeah. So President Eisenhower signed off on an official plan to try and poison Patrice Lumumba's toothbrush with the deadly virus. <laughs> they could not get that virus from America to the Congo. Okay. That was the issue. It's transport issues. Yeah. And it's, pretty, it's, it's a pretty hazardous operation. Yeah. So they kind of pulled the plug there. The next thing... So the president of the Congo is kind of like the king of the Congo. So a yep. figurehead title or the, or kind of like the governor general in Australia. Okay. So figurehead title representing like the head of state doesn't have any power except one power to be able to sack the prime minister. And so the president of the Congo, who's very closely linked with the, the US, sacks Patrice Lumumba as the prime minister. <laughs> yeah. To be the prime minister, you need to be the leader of the majority party. The the Congolese the Congolese parliament just goes straight away and says, we all support Patrice Lumumba. He's back in as prime minister. So that one didn't work. Yeah, very good. Yeah. So they kind of thwart that straight away and they're like, absolutely not. No. But However, the UN supported the president's decision to sack Patrice Lumumba. And this is where some you kind of sniff around like, this isn't right here. Yeah. Like right, left, whatever your political persuasion is or anything like that. It's very clear that this is a matter not of ideology, but of nefarious powers wanting to control Congolese resources. And so Lumumba basically is like, okay, I'm the prime minister. I'm back again. And then we see another person move in 
on Lumumba. His name is Joseph Mobutu. Might have heard of him before. He's probably... He's a bell. Yeah. He's probably one of the more famous African dictators. Mobutu actually used to be a friend of Lumumba and a supporter of Lumumba's. So Mobutu grew up wanting Congolese independence. And that was one of his big things. The Americans try... they, They back him in trying to overthrow Lumumba. And again, this isn't conspiracy. We've kind of got records of contracts and stuff like that. And... The Americans frequently met with Mobutu. Later on, Mobutu is going to end up being one of America's best friends. So Mobutu moves in on Lumumba. Lumumba has to run and he flees. Where does he go? He runs far away up the Congo River. Oh. Yeah. No, he doesn't get in by crocodiles. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what happens is he effectively crosses the river and he is without his family. So he comes back across the river to come collect his family. At that point, he's captured by Mobutu soldiers. Um, America also helped Mobutu in capturing Lumumba. They did things like close off roads, share intelligence with Mobutu on where he might be, and Lumumba is captured. Lumumba is then transported to Moise Shombe, the old enemy in Katanga, where he is brutally murdered. And the Belgians are in on this too. Mm. And Belgium has issued a formal apology. The government did a couple of years back, maybe it would have been 2015, 2016, sometime around then. Yeah, uh, The Belgian government issued a formal apology for their role in helping Moise Chambé's soldiers murder Patrice Lumumba. Yeah. Um, potentially it was the Belgian, Belgian soldiers that shot the final shots at him. Mm. So Lumumba's dead. Yeah. Mobutu's in. Okay. Mobutu's the leader. And you've still got Moise Shombe in Katanga. Okay. Issue for America. They've backed both of these guys. Uh, so the Belgians were the primary supporters of Shombe. Yeah. And the Americans backed Mobutu and America and Belgium are on the same ticket here. So they are kind of at a standstill and don't really know what to do. And they kind of end up supporting both sides in a civil war. And it gets a bit confusing. And the Soviet Union backs a guy called Antoine Gazenga. He's kind of seen as the successor of, of Lumumba. And it's kind of a three-horse race between Shombe and Katanga, Mobutu in Leopoldville, and then this guy called Gazenga, who's backed by the Soviet Union. What ends up happening is Mobutu wins the Civil War. And yep. it's a bit of a mess. The Congo's fallen into a complete crisis, but Mobutu yeah. walks away as the victor of the Civil War. And America has a guy who will give their uranium to them and will kind of be America's ally in Africa. And mm. Mobutu goes on to be known as America's crown jewel in Africa. Okay. I feel like this is not going to end well for the people of Congo. You, 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 you have foreseen correctly. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, Joseph Mobutu is the new leader. Yeah. He renames the Congo. What does he call it? You heard of Zaire. Zaire. Z-A-I-R-E. Um, I don't think so. So that becomes the Congo throughout the 70s, 80s and 90s is known as Zaire. Okay. It is no longer the Democratic Republic of Congo. It is Zaire. Interesting. Any significance? Yes. So he is all about cutting all ties to Belgium and getting okay. rid because Chambay was Belgium's guy. So he beats Belgium's guy in the Civil War with uh, the help yeah. of America. Yeah. And he grew up as an independence guy. So he wanted to basically cut uh, off all yeah. ties to colonialism. It's confusing. It is. It, the, oh, the Congo Civil War, it's... I had one of my students do it for their research essay, and I was just going over the events of the Civil War with them. Mm. It's, it's, it's so hard, and particularly for us on an, audio, on an audio medium without the map here so I could show you who was in what area. Yeah. It's quite confusing. But look, if you got nothing out of that, Mobutu wins the Civil War. That's yeah. all you need to know. And he is all around ditching European ties. So he changes his name. He gets rid of the name Joseph. Good. To European. Yeah. He becomes Mobutu Sese Seko. Yep. I instinctively say Musa Sissoko all the time. Easy to do. (laughs) (laughs) For those that don't know, Musa Sissoko was a football player. Yep. Became a bit of a meme for a little while and then became really good. And then became a meme again. Confusing, right? Yeah. Is it Newcastle? Tottenham, and then like he was in the World Cup squad, wasn't he? Yeah, and he played, was probably man of the match in the Euro final against Portugal when they yeah. lost. He was phenomenal that game, probably playing for a move to try and get out of there. <laughs> yeah, gave away the handball in the Champions League final that the Tottenham, yeah, when Liverpool, when Salah scored. Yeah, I got a call from PY at like so. I went to what we went to watch the Champions League final at Ben's place back in 2019. Yeah, and for Australia, obviously watching football means waking up at four AM or whatever to to watch it. I was at a twenty first night before. I come home at about two AM or so, and Ooh. I I was had nothing to drink or anything. I was I was I was completely sober, mm. but I tired tired, and I get a call from Ben being like, "Mate, where are you?" And in a panic, I drove around. I missed <laughs> actually the handball, but. Here's the big plus side. I did have a three-hour-old bacon and egg McMuffin that Victor brought. Yum. <laughs> it's pretty horrendous. And then I played soccer straight after that, so yeah. <laughs> it was... Yeah. I've also um, got a similar call to that in a Champions League final, just, like, missing the first half and getting a call at halftime. It's like, where are you? Are you coming? And just slept. <laughs> <laughs> what one was that? That was uh, Chelsea... Chelsea won. Chelsea Man City. Yeah. At Tim's place. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, so we'll, yeah. we'll <laughs> so, and, and I'll catch up there. Um, basically, Mobutu Sese Seko becomes the leader of Zaire, introduces a couple of new rules 
to kind of abolish the old way. Firstly, Catholic priests were not allowed to baptize anyone with a European name. If there would be legal punishments and imprisonment, if Catholic priests baptized a baby into a Belgian or any European name, they had to have a uniquely African name. And so he's all around building this kind of unique identity. He wears a, a hat made of leopard skin. That becomes his signature look. And he kind of rocks this almost communist Kim Jong-un style get up in how he, how he dresses. So he dresses in a very non-Western way. Weirdly, though, he's very pro-American. He's this weird mishmash of culturally, the West is terrible. Yeah. In terms of foreign relations, well, we're going to be America's best friend. Um, it becomes very strange. Yeah. Interesting. The way that Mobutu tries to open the world up to this new Zaire is he hosts a huge sporting event. Mm. I guess you'd have guessed what that sporting event might have been. Uh... Is it the African Cup of Nations? It is not the African Cup of Nations. Oh, okay. Is what? it niche? Like, is it... It's it's niche, but you'll definitely know it. So, you... In Congo, right? What's the... The tw- Winter Olympics. Not the Winter Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine? <laughs> rubber, like, perfect place when you have rubber fields that are from hot climate on, yeah. on the equator. <laughs> Great, great place the Olympics. <laughs> well, what is the Congo's terrain? Is it mountainous? Not so much. It's flat? Like, kind of in between, but like, what's okay. the... Um, okay, oh, a better question. Desert? Forest? Rainforest? Yeah, jungle. Jungle, yeah. Any sporting event that has the word jungle in the name. Rumble in the jungle. Rumble in the jungle. It's a boxing. Yes. Yeah, okay. Which was Ali and Foreman. Oh, yeah. And so, it basically, right, because... That's cool. Yeah, because boxing is, like, to host the event costs a lot of money. And basically, like, for, for someone hosting the event, you pay the boxers the money, you pay the promotion or whatever, and you get the return. And so it was seen as too high, like, too much of a high-risk investment from a lot of other countries. And so Mobutu said, come out here and have the fight over here, generated a profit, and actually put Zaire on the world map now as this yeah. new country. Like in the in the stadium, I mean the the current capacity of where it was held at is eighty thousand. Um, wow! I can't find an attendance for the. Well, you'd uh, you'd imagine if it's match. Ali coming out. Yeah, that's that that have to be particularly in Africa. That have to be a sellout. Yeah, if it was Muhammad it's Ali, Stad Tata Raphael. Oh wow! In Kin Kinshasa. 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 Yeah. That's and that that that's Leopoldville renamed. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And it seems like it's uh, it made a hundred million. Jeez. In like, the seventies. I don't know. Yeah. Pay per view said like fifty million viewers. Yeah. No. Oh, that makes sense. That makes yeah. yeah that makes sense because it, it probably the biggest boxing match of all time, right? I mm. I know nothing about boxing, but I know Rumble in the Jungle. I mean, mm. oh sorry, Logan Paul versus KSI number one. Yeah. Big R- one. Rumble in the Jungle number two, but. <laughs> It, and there's the cultural significance of well, grossed an estimated hundred million dollars, inflation adjusted five hundred million. Five hundred million for a seventy sporting event before the era of streaming, that is insane. And 
like there's the significance of Muhammad Ali in the sixties. There's the civil African civil rights, sorry, African American civil rights movement, and yeah. Ali's a big figure for that. He's a symbol of black power, and he becomes Muhammad Ali. He's born Cassius Clay, and he becomes Muhammad Ali, and he converts to Islam and kind of rejects this anglicized identity. And so he's seen as a figure of black pride across the world. Mm. And so you've not only got this huge boxing match, but it's Muhammad Ali, the symbol of anti-Western black pride. And so there's a huge kind of cultural affinity that Mobutu wants to create the people of Zaire to have with Ali. George Foreman did a cameo in Night at the Museum. Wow. Um, That is some amazing... (laughs) What's his... I think it's the second one. The one with Dum Dum? No, yeah, I I don't know if Dum Dum's in the second movie, but... um, (laughs) Yeah. And the Pharaoh with the lisp? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so under, underrated. Underrated. Yeah, it is good. Um, I, yeah, un- underrated set of movies, yeah. I think. Also, I, history, right? <laughs> and going through a plane trip to Fiji when I was 13 years old. Like, that's very good. Very, very <laughs> impressive. So you've got that beginning for Zaire. It worked, Mobutu worked pretty similarly to Idi Amin in a sense that who had the power? Well, army generals. And Mobutu basically kind of pocketed all the money from the mines and distributed amongst his army generals. And he himself lived a very lavish, um, over-the-top lifestyle. You could say he had a very extra lifestyle. And so it was a really corrupt regime where power was basically given to the army to do whatever they want. And when you give unfettered power to the army, what do they do? They go to people's houses, raid them, and beat people that kind of protest. Yeah. And Mm. you've got the issue then of... Well, in the 70s, there's so much hum-hire about what Idi Amin is doing, but Mobutu's doing the exact same thing. And mm, is America... Because America are profiting, there are, they're not too fussed. Exactly. Uganda does not have the, the, the mining reserves that the Congo has, and Amin has become pro-Palestine and anti-Western rather than pro-American. And you kind of look at that and you're like, whoa, hold up. There was some tension, though. Mobutu nationalised a lot of the foreign-owned businesses in the Congo or in Zaire, and he took control of them. And that created a couple of issues. Number one is um, the Congolese didn't have the correct training for operating the businesses, and the businesses were largely mismanaged. Though, you would add the caveat of when they were correctly managed, Congo was getting pillaged anyway. So you could argue... Is it that much of a worse trade-off? America wasn't pleased with this because America wanted their businesses to be able to operate in the Congo. But it is really important to know that America's primary interest in the Congo is not profit. It's national security and winning the Cold War and countering the Soviet yeah. Union. And America could still get access to uranium and the Congolese mines. At the same time, America was worried about communism spreading across Africa. And so they supported... Mobutu through all of this. Eventually what happened was that the Congo, so again, mining is their big industry and copper was one of their biggest exports, but the copper boom came to an end. Mm. So Zaire encompasses all of Congo at this point, including Katunga, right? Yeah, all, all the Democratic Republic of Congo. So you still got French Congo to the west. Oh, okay. Which becomes the Republic of Congo, which is the Republic of Congo. Okay. But so the, but that they're just kind of 
nothing's really going on over there. It's just... Yeah, they're on the other side of the Congo River. And yeah. so they still call themselves Congo. Yeah. But yeah, we're dealing with, yeah, Democratic Republic of Congo here. Okay. Um, it helps use Belgian Congo and French Congo. Yeah. We can, we can use those terms as well. Cool, cool. And so, so... French Congo, like, it's all, like, kind of... Not, not easy or anything, but, yeah, not, but there's not the same turbulence. But they I also see. don't have the same wealth opportunity as what the I see. Uh, Democratic yeah. People's Republic so of Congo. So within the Congo, there is also... And then within the Democratic Republic of Congo, there's still another, like, potential split. Yes. Yeah. I know. Lots of, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lots of action going on in the Congo. Mm. And so, exactly right. The, the copper boom comes to an end and Mabusha runs out of money. When you reach an economic crisis and you need people to have money, what's the easiest thing you can do as a government? Sell. Sell or print off money. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you print off money, what does that create? Inflation. Inflation. And inflation, we saw hyperinflation in the Congo on okay. levels not too dissimilar, not quite to the same extreme to, the... to Zimbabwe. Oh, yeah. Okay. And... I don't know what happened in Zimbabwe. I only My only recall of hyperinflation is like... 30s or 20s in Germany, right? Yeah, 1923 yeah. in Germany. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, similar, like, Zimbabwean dollar, like, the Zimbabwe ditched their currency to go to America's because it just got too out of hand. Mm. And so, we've got hyperinflation in Zaire. Hyperinflation effectively wipes out your savings entirely. So, hyperinflation is great if you owe a debt to the bank because if you owe $700,000 and now one basket of bread is worth $700,000, your debt's being wiped out overnight. If you've got savings, your savings gets wiped out overnight. Yeah, no good. No good. And so this created heaps of unrest in the Congo. To make the matters worse, as people were struggling to eat, Mobutu was living this really lavish lifestyle. I think his net worth was estimated to being something around about $10 billion. Was that just from assets? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just from like keeping mining profits and putting oh, it into his I own see. private bank accounts. Yeah. So there's that issue too. The early 90s is the fall of the Soviet Union. So now America has no need for Mobutu anymore in Africa. And actually, it probably served their interests better if he's gone because they can actually get their companies back in Katanga and back in Belgian Congo. And so the Americans are kind of like looking at Mobutu being like, what is the purpose of this guy? And he, this guy doesn't actually serve any purposes at all. The beginning of the 1990s, there were a number of riots. In 1991, Mobutu went into a coalition government where basically he had to rule alongside other people in, in the Congo and he kind of settled for that. By 1997, the uproar was so big against Mobutu that he was forced into exile and he actually died three months later from prostate cancer. Oh, wow. So he went, he fled to Switzerland for treatment and then he went to Morocco Yeah. and then he died within three months. Yeah. His son took up the mantle of trying to be Mobutu 2.0. Okay. Uh, but they basically, the Congolese weren't having it, forced a civil war that came to an end at the early 2000s. And the Democratic Republic of Congo has still been struggling ever since. It's, like I said before, cobalt is its new big reserve and there's heaps of it there. And so now all these mining companies are flocking to cobalt, are flocking to Katanga once again, this time looking for yeah. cobalt. And the Congo is in a situation where you're like, they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. If you have a, a leader who stands up to the companies and says, right, we're doing this independently, 
we will tell you what your limitations are. We will tax you heavily for taking our resources and that sort of thing. Or then they run the risk of the the mining industry basically campaigning against them, funneling heaps of money into smear campaigns, but much more serious. You've got the mining industry then potentially supporting, it's landlocked, supporting surrounding nations into invading and attacking them and kind of nudging them and or at least putting very punitive economic conditions upon upon the Congo mm-hmm. for not playing ball by them. Who are they uh, surrounded by? Let's get it up. I should add that they're not actually entirely landlocked. There's okay. a little port out stuck between the Republic of Congo and Angola. Oh, interesting. And it's a little shoot out <laughs> for for them. Yeah. But that's very easily blockadable. Yeah. If anyone gets angry with them. Yeah. So they're, they're surrounded by Angola, the Republic of Congo, the Central African Republic, South Sudan, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, Tanzania, and Zambia. Yeah. So a lot of potential to cut them off there. Yeah. And to make life really difficult for them. Yeah. And so we're in a situation right now where you look at the Congo and you're like, they should be... Like, they've had three sets of incredible sets of reserves that should make them one of the powerhouses of, of the global economy, but they're not. So they've been taken advantage of. Yes. Mm. And that's why I love the framework of control of resources rather than ideology as a governing principle for governments. Hmm. America can talk about as being as capitalist as they want. The Soviets can talk about as being as communist as they want. It's not a war about ideology. It was never a war about ideology. It was all about control of resources and control of influence. Yeah, definitely. And so, unfortunately, that has left the Congo in quite a precarious situation. Yeah, still today. Still today. uh, Where there doesn't seem to be any clear way out. We do end on quite depressing notes pretty frequently on the podcast. Yeah, I guess that's that's how it is though, right? It just doesn't like <laughs> no happy endings for um, a lot of this stuff. Like we'd love to say, oh, and the Congo's flourishing now. But like you say, they're not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's why I can't underestimate as well. Like people are like, oh, why don't we learn history? It's just a bunch of stories. It's like, actually, this totally explains why the Congo is the way that it is today and gives you a framework for why there's actually not a clear, easy solution out of this one. And it is, unfortunately, quite sad, quite a sad note to finish on. (laughs) More sad news is that Ben will not be joining us next week either. Okay, we're doing doing another one. As his sickness lasts for eight days. Uh, we, we record two in one session, so you probably notice similar patterns between sets of episodes. We'll see everyone next week as we look at Obama's pivot to Asia. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.